0: Welcome to the Beltway Outsiders Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vaughn. I'm a lawyer and columnist for the Conservative Institute, where I cover everything from politics, law, and culture. I send out a Friday newsletter each week full of political analysis and the best articles I've seen that week. This week, I covered and wrote about a send off to impeachment. That was the first column I covered. And I went through why. I was just happy to see impeachment end, why I thought it was a waste of time as impeachment was coming towards the end of its lifespan. My description of it here towards the end this last week of it was that it was like a zombie with parts falling off of it, and we just needed to put it out of its misery. That finally happened. My second column was about the Iowa caucuses and how the, just the debacle there caused another blow to all of the institutional credibility that everyone has. As we're watching this fail, just fall apart, it just, it's another, it's another clue for people to look in and say, hey, this is something that went wrong and it's another blow against all of the other institutions that we're supposed to trust. And if you can't trust them to even count votes in a caucus setting, what can you trust? And then in the newsletter this week, I talked through the Iowa caucus results, what we had Thursday, because we still don't have final results in this. And I'm going to talk through that again today. So if any of that interests you now or after the show, you can sign up and get it all in your email inbox at thebeltwayoutsiders.com. That's just the easiest way to get my columns and analysis to you and you don't have to worry about any more spam in your inbox because that list isn't for sale. So finally, if you like what you hear here or enjoy my written work, make sure to subscribe and review. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Those five-star reviews help listeners and readers like you find me in the iTunes algorithm, and they also help me improve the show each week. So jumping into this week's show, this week I'm covering the Democratic primaries. That's really the theme for this week's show. We're going to go, walk through the, the Iowa results, talking through you know the general 30,000-foot view results, uh, talk about can Bernie Sanders win because he's the clear winner coming out of Iowa, even though it looks right now that Pete Buttigieg is the one with the delegate lead. And then finally I'm going to talk to you about New Hampshire, and the benchmarks and narratives that you have to watch there. While I was getting ready for this, I was kind of watching the the Oscars that's taking place tonight. I have no intention of watching any of it. I haven't seen any of the picture, best pictures this year, which is a shame because I, I meant to see at least a few of them. 1917 looks fantastic. But anyway, the viral moment early on happened. It was going on Twitter was uh, Brad Pitt, who won an award. Spoiler alert, since you're, but you're going to be hearing this the next day, so I assume you have alerts on your phone for it. But in any event, the the viral line that he had was that he was told that he had 45 seconds to speak and to deliver his, his remarks. And he said that that 45 seconds was still longer and more than what John Bolton got before the Senate. And, you know, it got an applause line because it's Hollywood and they're all liberal. But the irony is, is that 45 seconds that he had is also more than John Bolton got in the House. So, you know, House Democrats didn't give Bolton 45 seconds there. They weren't interested in subpoenaing him and bringing his testimony forward. They just wanted to ask and not go through the court fight. Uncomfortable truth. If you're a Democrat, you've got to look at both the House and the Senate on that point. The other thing that happened this week uh, was was the State of the Union. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I did think it was ironic that the main takeaway from that was that Nancy Pelosi ripped Trump's speech up. And that was her act of defiance, which is just hilarious because she's the Speaker of the House. If she really wanted to put it to him, she could have done things like... I don't know, go after his his defense spending. She could have changed that as Speaker of the House. She could have changed his budget or the spending plan that we've got going through the rest of the year, but she didn't do that. She could have tried to stop the trade deal, but she put that through. And she also pushed through a partisan impeachment that was so partisan, there's good odds that it's probably going to help reelect Donald Trump at this point. It was just so off the rails crazy. So congratulations, Nancy Pelosi. You tore a piece of paper and you made a big show of not liking what Trump said during the speech. But you also helped shuffle through a lot of major achievements for him at the end of the year. So congratulations. Good on you. You ripped a piece of paper while also giving him pretty much everything that he wanted. That's the irony there. I feel like they kind of walked into a trap on that point because Trump's. Entire State of the Union was all about America and all these great things. Not just his agenda, but great things like the Tuskegee, the um, the airman who was there was 100 years old and, and other things. All things which are bipartisan and applause worthy and nothing from them. So I think he, they really walked into sort of a trap on that one because that's going to go in attack ads in the fall. So something to look forward to in the fall are... Nancy Pelosi ripping those pieces of paper, and that being in an attack ad. So that's all I've got for that. We're going to jump into the Iowa caucuses and the results from the Democratic primaries that we have right now. Now, I emphasize right now, because I'm recording this on a Sunday night, and like I said earlier, the Iowa caucuses, they were held last Monday, and we still don't have final results for the Iowa caucuses. In fact, I'm, I'm not sure we're actually going to ever get final results. So before I hopped on the mic, I was checking to see if there are any updates from the Iowa Democratic Party, and they had released a batch of corrections, more corrections from them. And these corrections appear to give Pete Buttigieg a slight delegate delegate lead, Right now, according to the math, and these were confirmed by some New York Times reporters who I follow on the election stuff, Uh, Nate Cohn, he was retweeting some of this, and it shows Mayor Pete with 14 delegates, Bernie Sanders with 12, Elizabeth Warren with 8, Joe Biden with 6, and Amy Klobuchar with a single delegate. Altogether, it's 41, which if I remember correctly is the total that they have in Iowa. I couldn't remember if it was 41 or 44, but I believe it's 41, so that gives... uh, Buttigieg's campaign, 14 delegates, two over Bernie Sanders, even though I think if you count up the total votes in the state, it looks like Bernie Sanders actually has, you know, the popular vote victory. So congratulations to him for Hillary Clinton in Iowa. And you can also, you know, insert any joke that you want there about a socialist being angry about his delegates getting, you know, dispersed to others, even though he had more votes than everyone else. There are a lot of people making fun of all the Bernie bros out there who were angry about that fact, even though they would like to do that very thing with everyone else. But in any event, I'm not actually sure if we're ever going to know the actual end results of Iowa because it was a caucus process, because this app messed up so much, and because as we're looking through the spreadsheets and the results that they had, there are just so many mistakes. In fact, I know I saw, I believe it was a reporter talking about one of the lawyers who works for the Iowa Democratic Party and that lawyer was saying that regarding some of the results in Iowa that they were just going to have to live with some of the mistakes as actual results because they couldn't change what some of these precinct captains who were counting up some of the stuff what they did they couldn't go in and change it according to caucus rules so it's a mess it is a gigantic mess There's no getting around that. It's just it's one of the biggest screw ups I've ever seen. People joke about, you know, the 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 Florida 2000 recount. But really, really and truly right here, this is bigger than that, because in the 2000 recount, it was it was a mess because it was so close. You were talking about a presidential election coming down to one state and less than 500 votes, with millions being cast, being the deciding factor in that state. And in Iowa, that wasn't the case. In Florida, they had they were trying to figure out voters' intent by looking at hanging chads and all that. That at least makes sense and when the supreme court weighed in it was 7 to 2 on the point of there being due process equal protection clause uh violations it was 5 4 on how to go about fixing that but generally it was 7 to 2 on the broader issue of there being you know broader problems and so the the florida re- reelection looks like just an absolute machine compared to what happened in iowa cuz i you we really you really can't underscore just how how crazily messed up everything was just because when you compound what they did with the fact of who it was, so the company was shadow, which as I wrote, I, I literally cannot believe that, that an election company named themselves and their app shadow. That is absolutely insane. You're just asking for conspiracy theories when you call yourself shadow, but, The thing about that was is that they are from the – that company gets funding from the far left, the progressive part of the party. It had links to Hillary Clinton's campaign, former staffers from her, Um, Mayor Pete's campaign had – uh, paid them for some services, not related to the app, but was for other things. Joe Biden had done the same, and I believe it was Kristen Gillibrand, I believe I read. She also, before she dropped out, she had paid the same company for input into her campaign. So you have this company that's taking money from these campaigns who are running in Iowa, and then they're also the ones building the technology to count the votes. Now, there's no evidence directly that I've seen that says that anything untoward happened but you have to be beyond reproach when you're counting votes like this. Now, this is a, this is a partisan election. This is the Democratic caucuses, so I don't expect you know this thoroughly unbiased thing. But if you're a Democrat, I would expect you would want somebody who didn't have skin in the game here, who wasn't taking money from all these different campaigns who are running in your state to ultimately help decide who wins. You just have to be beyond reproach. And that did not happen here. Uh, And in fact, not only did it not happen, there are, um, I saw something went across my feed where Democrats were talking about how how, uh, the Nevada caucus is coming up. And it looks like the Nevada Democratic Party has hired somebody off of Pete Buttigieg's campaign to push forward their voter integrity project or some kind of project manager position that focuses on voter integrity. So, this is the Democratic primaries right now are a mess. And I, I'm glad that New Hampshire is coming up because it's just a regular primary. People come in, they vote, and that's the end. You divvied up everything after that. There's none of this caucus stuff where you've got these first ballots and second ballots where people are trying to choose. New Hampshire should help clear some of this up because we should have results at the end of the night. I, I, I want to say we should, but you know, after Iowa, you never know what's going to happen. So, the only thing about Iowa that I think is worth watching here is because these results are so fluky. The thing that could come back with this is that if you get to the convention. And the delegate count is really close between somebody like Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. Let's say they get there and they're pretty much tied. Neither of them has a majority. And the question is, who has the results from Iowa? Who, if, that, if that's something that pushes one of them over the edge at the end, then this is going to get really dicey real quick. And the spotlight will be back on these Iowa results if it gets really close towards convention time. So keep an eye on that. Just I don't, you know, there there are only 41 delegates here. You have to reach something like around 1,500 total to get the delegate lead before the convention. So this is, that we're a long ways off from that goal. But if this is a close race, these could matter in the end. Now looking just a little bit broader at the Iowa caucuses, the thing to look at if, if you're a Republican and to notice is that turnout was down. At These Iowa caucuses. So the the Iowa Democratic Party expected 2008 numbers coming into this year in 2020. They were expecting somewhere around 300,000 people would show up and caucus at this event. And this was especially after the 2018 elections when there was just blowout turnout for Democrats across the board. Well, they fell up short from that. In fact, they fell up well short of that. Only about 176,000 people showed up, which was a 3% increase from what they saw in 2016 when Hillary Clinton came in and was running. Basically, she had, she was running against Bernie Sanders. It was basically a two-person race even at that point. Martin O'Malley was in the race, but it was really her and Bernie at that point. And Bernie snuck out the, the victory there in 2016. And so... It was mainly everybody thought in 2016 that it was just going to be a coronation for Hillary Clinton. So everything was being cleared away for her. So Bernie was the surprise upstart that year. This year you have an entire field running. There's no one who's restricting it. So you would expect, especially after 2018 and Donald Trump, that you would have more people coming out. And that is not the case there is not that high enthusiasm that people had when they voted in 2008, when you had Hillary Clinton versus Barack Obama and John Edward. There was high turnout. And it looks like, if you're just looking at Iowa, we don't know if you're going to include other states. We just have Iowa to look at right now. It looks like right now that maybe all that steam from the midterms that was powering Democrats before may have had some of that let out where Democrats have... Held up all this advantage. They let out some of that steam with the midterms where they had a good result. And now they pushed it all, all in on things like impeachment. And now people in the New York Times piece that was covering this, the people they interviewed were talking about just being worn out by the news cycle. You know, not, nothing went right with impeachment. Now nothing's gone right with the caucuses. And so if you're watching all these failures as a Democrat, it could affect turnout. And that advantage that they had in 2018 in particular might not be quite what it was. So we could be looking at a lower turnout election. Now, the thing about that is, is that as the population of the United States grows, each election will have more people voting in it as a raw vote total. But when you're talking about turnout, what you're Really talking about as is a percentage as a percentage of the population, and so you could have a smaller percentage voting even though the raw vote number will be higher, just be due, just due to sheer population growth over time so that's the thing to watch from here. It's a really interesting thing that there's this possibility that Democrats have burned through a lot of their voter enthusiasm both through the primaries, then you had the Mueller investigation, which went, ended up going nowhere. Then you had the impeachment failure, which ended up going nowhere. And now this week, you've got the Iowa caucuses and Donald Trump being acquitted, and all these things that are breaking towards Trump. And you you got to wonder if this is beginning to wear Democrats down. It's kind of like a football game where they came out with guns blazing in the first quarter when they had their first shot at Trump, and now. Going into a re election against him, they're wearing down here a little bit as the clock is beginning to run out. It's a bad time if you're looking at lower voter enthusiasm. We'll know more as we go through the primaries whether or not that's true or not. But the first results out of when you're expecting 300,000 people and 176,000 show up, that's still a lot, but it's definitely breaking your expectation there. So we're going to jump here next into the different candidates, kind of talking about that, jumping down into each individual one. As I said, Bernie Sanders is the clear front brother at this point. He has a clear path forward to take the nomination. Even though everyone's giving this to Pete Buttigieg already, the guy with the clear path forward is Bernie He's more than likely going to win New Hampshire. He has that close loss, but he had more votes in Iowa, and I think that matters if you're going to some of these other states where you're showing that momentum. If if you're only getting that two-delegate lead in a place where you got more votes, you kind of would want more votes instead of getting the extra two delegates unless that matters later on. And I just think he's the one with the clear path, and that's why if you're looking at odds makers or Vegas or even the 538, their their model that's tracking all this, the, everything points to him having a clear path. And here's why. He has a... he's going to win New Hampshire more than likely, and he's going to be strong in Nevada, where all of the people who vote in these areas, he won them last time around, and he's still popular with them this time. And the problem for Pete Buttigieg is that he's got a chance to make a splash here in New Hampshire, and then his his stock is going to drop precipitously. That's, there's a reason why he, even though he came in first in Iowa, he's still a long shot, and that's because he has absolutely no support right now in any poll that I'm aware of in any state with a single minority group in the Democratic Party. And I, I've joked on this podcast and my newsletters before that Bernie Sanders supporters and Elizabeth Warren supporters are very white they can at least score sometimes in single digits in support among key demographics of the American party, which that leads off with blacks and then followed by Hispanics. There have been multiple polls where Pete Buttigieg has scored a, a, just a flat out zero. They couldn't find a single voter in a single poll in any minority group who was going to vote for Pete, Mayor Pete. So just think about that for a second not only is his coalition white, it is the whitest coalition in both parties right now. Because Donald Trump, when he ran in the regular general election, he got around 8% of the black vote. Mayor Pete can't even get that. He can't get a single voter in these polls to show that they support him. Now, and I know he trots out a lot of people uh, who are either black or Hispanic, on the stage, but when you're in at those events, those are the only people there uh, with any color. His his voters are suburban, and they're white, and that helps him in a place like New Hampshire, which sort of matches the, the demographics that he's good, wa- good with. Unfortunately for him, it also matches with Bernie Sanders. And they like him a lot there. New Hampshire is just a different place in that regard, but... That means that Bernie Sanders, because he has even just a limited appeal, has more of a path forward than Mayor Pete, even though you're seeing this charge forward from from Pete Buttigieg. And that's why I think right now you have to place Mayor Pete in just a clear second place. Because even though he he's got this shock win, he's got a different path forward. He's got 0% with minorities, and he literally... Does not have a path forward in the South. Last time in 2016, what happened is it was the reverse, reverse thing for, for Clinton and Sanders. Clinton was getting beat by Bernie in these wider states, places like Iowa and New Hampshire. And then, unfortunately for her, she faced the prospect, she faced finally the prospect of going South where black voters ended up delivering her the nomination straight up. Bernie Sanders couldn't break through with a single minority group. He only had these young white voters who support him again this time, but he's expanded just enough in order to make a slightly larger coalition this time around he couldn't pull that off in 2016. I think he can this time. And he doesn't need a ton. He just needs enough to get a plurality of the vote, which is something that no one else can get right now in the party, because the moderate lane, which is broader than the progressive wing of the party, is just more fractured than the progressive wing right now. Right now, Elizabeth Warren is still trailing, and she can't break through, and Bernie Sanders is gobbling up all her extra voters. So you've got Bernie in first place, uh, Mayor Pete in second. I still think you have to, even though the results don't say it, I still think because of the candidates and their weaknesses, you have to put Biden in third place, even though his eye results are just an utter and complete disaster. His only hope right now is that black voters save him in places like Nevada and South Carolina. That is literally his only hope, because he is not appealing to any other part of the democratic and the Democratic Party. He's barely treading water right now in in New Hampshire with around ten to eleven percent. I tend to think he's getting helped there a little bit because, as Nate Silver and Sean Trende have pointed out, his there's a lot of pollsters who have said he's at directly at eleven percent, and it's just wildly unlikely that he's going to come in at exactly at 11%. There should be a little bit more variety there. And so it looks like the people who are polling that state are hurting around the same results. And so they don't look like they're all just egregiously wrong. So it could be thrown off our averages. So he could really sink even further. And But even despite all of that, I still think you have to put him in third because there's still this prospect, just due to what we've seen in the past from Bernie Sanders and what we know of Pete Buttigieg, that that, uh, Biden still has a shot to come back and either Nevada, which is kind of unlikely. That's not, it's better for him, but it's not his best, but more than likely his, his firewall is South Carolina. He's got to make it to South Carolina. He doesn't have the money to stay in pass' pass that much more, but that's, that's his goal. Get to South Carolina, convince black voters to save him and go from there. I don't know if that is going to happen, but he's effectively looking at trying to take a Clinton path through the country, win the South, and build up momentum from there. And that leaves a person I've only mentioned once so far, but who has eaten up so much of the press time, Elizabeth Warren. Warren's campaign is dead in the water. I, I know that you can find some prospects of her getting delegates in the 538 tracker, and she won some in Iowa. I think I said, what was it? It was eight, eight delegates. So it, it's not nothing. She was above 15%. But the thing about Elizabeth Warren is is I, I honestly don't know what her path forward is. She's never been strong with any. She's kind of like Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. She's not strong with a single group of minorities, her supporters are very white. In fact, some of her, at some of her campaign stops, she's had uh, black uh, school choice voters come in and ask her why she's not supporting something like school choice when she sent her kids to private school at one point. So she is in trouble. In fact, she's in so much trouble, I'm not sure she probably stays in the race through South Carolina. I don't know how much longer she can stay after that. She can't beat Bernie. Her literally her only path forward right now is if Bernie just happens to croak over and she takes over his part of the coalition. At least that's the presumption that she could do. I don't know if she he actually she actually could do that. She can't beat him and she's too extreme for the moderate part of the party so she's stuck in no man's land where she's got her own little you know group of voters who like her a lot but they're a very small subset no one else really likes her all that much and she's burned a lot of bridges early on in the campaign when the debates were happening uh the former obama administration officials they're mostly over at the pod save america and all those guys They were blasting Warren's campaign and, inadvertently, also Bernie Sanders, although they are a little bit more scared of him. They were blasting her for attacking various things and not mentioning how great Obama was in these debates. And that was when we had this hilarious debate where everybody came out and talked about how much they liked Obama, at least at some point. But in reality, she and Sanders are basically running on the fact that Barack Obama's policies were wrong and we need to go even more far to the left. And if you're wanting, you know, an actual socialist, you've got Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren is trying to say anything that she can to win, and I think most voters are turned off by that in the end. So she's she's dead in the water. She's got to have a miracle to come through here for her to have any chance of doing anything because outside of her home state, and I'm not even sure she's even she would even lead there once we got to that state, she doesn't really have much hope of winning a single state going forward maybe she can throw an upset here or there but it's very unlikely and finally that leaves fifth place person here amy klobuchar senator Abbott of minnesota and she she also has no real path here she's she she's a good for the moderate faction she's got decent numbers after the new hampshire debate but she she just doesn't have any support really in the party. I think you're going to see her bounce a little bit here in New Hampshire because she had a good debate. But I just don't, I don't see the party. If you've already got, you know, Mayor Pete up here in second place, I don't see them then just switching all these people, switching to her and powering her ahead. I don't see her path forward either. And interestingly enough, I'm trying to remember who said this. There was, uh, I think it was Dave Wasserman. He was talking about how he was in New Hampshire and he was talking with these democratic voters And he said he had hit, it was all anecdotal, but he had hit a lot of voters, both male and female, who all said the same thing, that they weren't sure that a woman could win a general election against Donald Trump. Now, I think this is just patently false. Hillary Clinton got more uh, more popular vote. I think that's a bogus stat just from, if you're judging a presidency, because we have the Electoral College, but in any event, she did get more raw vote totals for her effort in that election. And so she could obviously win an election if she just went to someplace like Wisconsin. One of my favorite writers, whenever Hillary Clinton complains, he just posts on her Twitter, he'll post a map from Chappaqua to Wisconsin. The best and fastest route to get there. In reality, that's what happened. She didn't campaign hard enough in the Midwest. She didn't take it seriously. And that's why she lost. But I think there's this weird thing in sort of the woke subset of the Democratic Party, the extra far left, where their takeaway from 2016 was that the reason Hillary Clinton lost is because America is a sexist nation. I don't think this is right either, but this is their takeaway, that America is sexist and a woman can't win. And so now that they're hitting this election, we're seeing both Warren and Klobuchar struggling to break through. And you've seen this with several female candidates in the Democratic Party. They all sort of hit a wall. Warren was the closest to breaking through it. And then she had her Medicare for all fumble, and people realized that she didn't know what she was talking about in any of this stuff. And she sunk to the bottom real quick. I just assume almost at the time the media was going to power her through, but it didn't happen. And I wonder if they're being hurt, these women can, these female candidates, I'm wondering if they're being hurt by this woke reading of the 2016 election, which again, I think is wrong because Clinton was very close to winning that. If you really break down Trump's victory, it was about 80,000 80, voters across three or four states that decided the election. So she almost won the election, and her loss didn't come down to sexism, per se. It came down to that late-breaking story about her emails which broke about a day, I mean, not a day, about a week week or two before the election, which then helped bring in more Republicans and probably helped suppress some of her key report voters who just decided they were gonna stay home, they didn't want any part of her. That's what I really think happened. It didn't have anything to do with sexism. But there is this belief, and I'm wondering if that belief is now in turn hurting Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. I haven't seen anybody really write on it or study it, but it was sort of an interesting anecdotal take from Dave Washman, and I'll link to it in the show notes. You can read it yourself. But it is this weird thing where They're saying that sexism cost them 2016, so now they're using a form of sexism to decide who the candidate should be, which is why all the top candidates are white dudes. Or in the case of Bernie Sanders, an old Jewish guy. So it's just an interesting thing and an interesting note, I thought, from him. So of all the candidates, Bernie's positioned again to run away with it. He doesn't need a ton of minority support. He just needs enough to offset his weaknesses. I think of these top candidates, Biden's the one who you would expect to get these in droves, to pull these in, because he has that connection. I'm a little curious now why Barack Obama hasn't come out and just flat-out endorsed him. That seemed to be, be the thing. If you wanted to end the Bernie Sanders surge in the Democratic Party, you would have Barack Obama come out and endorse the candidate who should do that. Now, you would think he would do Joe Biden. He hasn't done that. I don't know what his thinking is on this, because I know he doesn't like Sanders. I know he doesn't like Warren that much either. So it's kind of weird to see him not step in here to try to tilt things to a candidate that he, and he knows the establishment part of the party, would prefer. So that's sort of the state of the Democratic primaries. Because Bernie Sanders has the clear path forward. I'm going to talk a little bit about whether or not he can win. He's the most unconventional of all the candidates left, except for maybe Mike Bloomberg, who has just a very long shot of you making a splash, but we'll talk more about him in a little bit here. But I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about whether or not Bernie Sanders can win a general election against Donald Trump. All right, we're back talking about whether or not Bernie Sanders, or as he's sometimes called on Twitter, Bernard Sanders, which in my mind that's what I've started to call him just because it sounds funny, can he win? In the answer to that, it just is easily it's yes, he can win, but I don't think it's a cakewalk like you see other people talk about it being. He obviously has high favorability ratings in the Democratic Party. But I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk in the sense that it's going to be easy for him to just walk past Donald Trump and win, even though in Donald Trump you have somebody who has below 50% approval ratings and has struggled to get above 45% for the entirety of his first term. So... Bernie can win, and there's some who think that just because he is the Democrats' version of a populist that he could beat Trump easily. I just don't think it's quite as easy as that. Because one of the common frames of 2016 is that Bernie would have beat Trump. And that could have been true because in that race, because you would have had Trump with all his flaws running then and none of the accomplishments that he's had as president. I don't think that's as likely true now, and... The problem is, is that he's running on things like taxing the middle class. And so he's extreme on all these issues everywhere that have sunk all these other candidates across the country. He won't moderate on any of these issues. He's going to be himself. That's the thing that people like about Bernie. He's honest to a fault, and he's always going to tell you exactly what he wants and what he wants to do. Which brings me to my first red flag on Bernie Sanders when you're talking about whether or not he can win. He can win obviously. But one of the red flags, I would say, comes from 2018. And, you know, the Democrats had this election where they performed great across the board. But what people noticed is that the hardcore left people who are running in a lot of these purple districts, they lost a lot of their campaigns. And so what happened, one of the key statistics that I took away from that, that election and that race, Josh Kroschauer got together with a progressive activist who is big in all these races, and they agreed to a set of nine candidates to watch in the 2018 election to see whether or not these far-left, these so Democratic Socialist types, or just really far-left progressives, whether or not they could win in these close races. So there's nine races they are watching. And those candidates went 0 for 9. They lost every last single one of these key races. And some of them were like Stacey Abrams in Georgia or Beta O'Rourke in Texas. There were people who were running in these close races where they had a shot, but they lost every single time. The only types of the far left or Democratic Socialists who won were people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And if you need to know how hard her race was, Nancy Pelosi said a bottle of water could have won that race. And Pelosi is right. The big part of that race was winning the primary. That was the actual race. Once that was done, everything else was done. So, in actual races where you had to win a general election, these progressives and these activist groups were over nine in key races, close but no cigar in some of them, but they lost every single time. So, if you're applying that forward and looking at Bernie Sanders, yes, I think he could win in some of these deep blue areas. I'm not sure he's going to win in some of these swing states. I think he can poach. With his populist-type message, some of this, he can poach some of these Trump-style voters, but I don't think he's going to be able to hold together some of these suburban areas that Hillary Clinton was able to cobble together against Trump, and that was cobbled together against Trump and Republicans in the 2018 election. Bernie Sanders draws an entirely different set of voters, and he needs a lot of them to win in some of these places, and I just don't know that he's going to find them in some of these key states. And something that I keep coming back to about Bernie Sanders was a quote that Sean Trendry um, commented and said, and he said that it's one thing to run against a Republican attack ad. It's another thing entirely to run on Republican attack ad. So generally in these attack ads, Republicans are pretty free in calling somebody socialist and wanting to use big gummer to take over every party your life. And these are just attack ads that are usually, you know, they're built on some form of hyperbole where, you know, you're, you're trying to make the other person sound extreme. Bernie Sanders actually is the extreme. He is the old-school socialist who wants to control all these different areas of the economy. He wants the government to seize control. He wants the government to seize control of the health His Medicare-for-all policy would end the health insurance industry as we know it. Everybody would get ca- kicked off their health care plans. You would all be forced into a Medicare-style plan, and then everyone's taxes would go up to pay just for that one thing. And so that's just... On the healthcare front. He wants to do this in multiple other areas. I don't know that he would actually be able to pull this off if he was only a president, but if he wins the presidency, then he's probably winning some key house races and maybe in a couple Senate races, which could give him the chance to try to push through his agenda. So it is one thing, as as Trinity said, that to run against a Republican attack ad. It's another thing entirely to run on an attack ad and I think, ironically, one of the people who is sort of seeing this before we get there is Chris Matthews on MSNBC, who, while we were watching the uh, the, the Iowa caucus, or I think it was after the New Hampshire debates. That's what it was. It was after the New Hampshire debates. And so they are talking with the candidates in the spin room and getting their takes on different things. And during one of the the cutback segments towards the studio, Chris Matthews is talking with the rest of the panel and he decides to light into Bernie Sanders, just absolutely light into him. I'm gonna play that clip here because I can describe it, but you really do have to hear it to to believe it. And this so this is Chris Matthews, you know, the the arch liberal guy on MSNBC, talking about why he doesn't like Bernie Sanders.
1: I I have my own views of the word socialist, and I'll be glad to tell them, share them with you in private. And they go back to uh, the early 1950s. I have an attitude about them. I remember the Cold War. I have an attitude towards Castro. I believe if Castro and the the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed. And certain other people would be there cheering, okay? So I have a problem with people who took the other side. I don't know who Bernie... bernie supports over these years i don't know what he means by social one week it's denmark we're going to be like denmark okay that's harmless that's a, basically a capitalist country with a lot of good social welfare programs denmark is harmless he's pretty clearly in the denmark is category yeah are you sure how do you know did he tell you that well i mean that's what he says and that's what his agenda calls for right yeah, yeah, he's not oh, calling yeah. for well, any, well, let's, I mean, see. let's see let's figure that seen, one out well we haven't seen a, a campaign yet where video of him praising the other version of right. Castro it, has been used, well, that will be used. That's a question we haven't of how, seen how that plays. of how tender, what, what the effect that has. In well, what does question. he think of Castro? That's, that's a great him. question. What did you think of Fidel yeah. think We all thought he was great when he first, <laughs> I think, cheering like man okay. for him <laughs> when not, he first wait. went in. And Holden then I, became a communist and started shooting okay. every one of his enemies. Okay, hold on. So all those he thoughts on the Cuban revolution. I have to go back to the spin room and Democratic presidential candidate.
0: So, you know, there he is. There is Chris Matthews just destroying Bernie Sanders, you know, all but accusing him of wanting to line people up and shoot him and shoot people in Central Park, which obviously is extreme. I don't think Bernie is one of those types of people. But, and this is a major but here, there are plenty of videos that if he makes it to a general election, the Republicans are going to run where Bernie Sanders is praising the Soviet Union. He's going along with everything they said during the Cold War, where he's praising Fidel Castro. He's praising all these socialists, because that's who Bernie Sanders is. He, act, he lived on an actual commune, and one of the reasons he got kicked out of his commune was that he was too lazy. That is Bernie Sanders in a nutshell. He believes every last single word of what he says. He believes in you know, the socialists of the world or unite in the International Brotherhood. He believes in the full package. And so that's going to come out in a general election. That's what Matthews is getting at here. That in a debate, he could legitimately be asked, what do you think of Fidel Castro? At one point, he refused to even criticize the socialist leaders in Venezuela that are currently bankrupting that country and killing people in the streets because they're socialist and because Bernie Sanders once supported them. This is who he is. These things are real. And and another thing, you start looking at some of the polls, socialism isn't actually popular. I know people are trying to make all these different, you know, socialism is popular among millennials and all these younger groups. Well, yeah, this stuff happens. But if you look at actual polls of the broader population, the popularity of socialism only sits at about 30%. Now, that is obviously too high. It should be at zero because the thing has been disproven over the course of the entire 20th century. But in the same polls that test that, they also see that capitalism has a support of over 50%. Usually I think I've seen it around 51%, 52%, where it is seen positively when compared to socialism. So Bernie Sanders is playing on this, you know, it's like a 30-70 issue here, where 30% of the pe- American public says, you know, we like it, but the other 70 says, no, we don't. And the problem is, is that most of the people who are going to be supporting socialism are going to be in these deep blue areas of the country that would go for Bernie Sanders anyway. He has to win in these other areas of the country where Trump has been able to run up these victories. And the thing is, Trump ran on a theme of making America great again, and so you could sort of put whatever policy you wanted on that as a voter, with Bernie Sanders, he's running on a very different platform. He has a distinct policy platform that he wants to run on. And I think Republicans have wrongly focused on the costs, although that is very important what they need to focus on is what it does. So Bernie Sanders wants to get rid of all your health care. Like I said before, he wants to get rid of all private health care. You like your plan, you're going to lose it. You like your employer plan, which most people do, or you like your Obamacare plan or whatever plan you currently have now, you are going to lose it. It's gone. So are all the health insurance jobs and all the people who work in health insurance, those people are going to have to find new lines of work. The middle class taxes and evil. and even I think people who are poor are going to see all their taxes go up to pay for all of this. All this nonsense about how you can soak the rich and pay for it will not happen. You could tax the rich at 100% and you would not come on up with enough money to pay for Medicare for All. That is just a fact of life. So you're going to have to see taxes go up astronomically on the middle class and the lower middle class to pay for this. And the reason that this happens in some of these places like Denmark, as Chris Matthews was saying, the reason this happens there is that these countries don't have to pay for their own defense. The United States pays For two things. We pay for all the defense of the world because we control NATO and we have the most powerful military in the world. And because we are a free market society, we also end up paying for most of the drug and medical research that happens across the world. So all these so-called socialist countries are really just free riders on the American free market system. And so they're able to do this. They don't have to pay for militaries because America's got it. And then they complain about us in the UN. They don't have to worry about their socialist system crushing forms of medical research because the Americans will put all the money for it. So in reality, what you're looking at is a world where America is the premier superpower and everyone lives under the umbrella of our incredible economy. Even China, with all they're doing, they draft off our economy in order to run their manufacturing and stuff because it helps keep us rich. So you've got this thing here where Sanders is wanting to is pushing forward something that will not work in America because we're the ones who are already paying for a lot of these different things. It's the same way in Canada. There's a reason Canada is able to do this too, and it's because they let us pay for a lot of these other things. So Sanders is pushing for things that people will not like. Another thing that people aren't going to like are his student debt relief plan. Now, people pitch this as you know helping poor millennials or just poor college students or or other things. But the people who are going to get the most benefit from student debt relief are not going to be the poor. It's going to be the rich. If you canceled all forms of student debt right now that would be a massive wealth transfer not to the poor although there are some BC, be some people who would get that it would be the people with advanced degrees and and making the most money so the people with the most debt in society are people like me who are lawyers or doctors or other people with you know mbas and who are running businesses these are the people with the most student debt and so If you forgive all of that debt, these people immediately get a massive amount of wealth transfer to them from the people who either A, have no student debt at all, or the poor, or all these other groups who have paid off their student debt already. So it's a payoff to this wealthy class. It's it's socialism for the rich. They get all the benefits and everybody else pays for it. And I think you can even see this. There's there's a clip going around of a father who confronts Elizabeth Warren, who's running on the same thing. And he asks, you know, what kind of relief? I paid off all my loans and I made sure my kids got to go through college. What kind of relief do I get? Would I get anything under this plan? And she said, well, no, this is for the people who took on debt. And he is livid in this video, absolutely livid, as he should be, because that is not fair. That is fundamentally... Not fair to ask people who are responsible with the debt to pay off the debt of others, and that's and he's pitching this as a policy to help other people, but it fundamentally, when you start breaking down how it would take place, is not fair. And in fact, on that one, it's a total betrayal of any form of populist socialism because it's socialism only for the rich. Like I said. And so that that would be, talking through some of his policies, that would be why he can't win. And I honestly think he still can. These are things that are going to come up in an election related to him, though. The second red flag that I think that you have to bring up with, with Bernie is that when Brexit happened before Trump, it was sort of a harbinger of what was to come and that there was this populist wave that was shifting on both sides of the Atlantic, both in England and in America. And so everyone said, you know, oh, if we just held another election, we would get a different result. Brexit would not have passed. And then we had this second election here. Really, it's a third election, because May's election, the she Theresa May's election, was just a wash and a failure. But Boris Johnson held his election against Jeremy Corbyn and the Socialist Labor Party. And he won a massive victory over Corbyn. Just absolutely massive. Just thumping him in places that the Labor Party had never been thumped before. And they were beating him. It was the most socialist uh, platform that the Labor Party had ever run on, and they got beat everywhere, both on both the socialist message and because of Corbyn's anti-Semitism. Now, Bernie Sanders... He does not have the same problem or degree of a problem that that Jeremy Corbyn had because Corbyn was just an outright anti-Semite. There's just no getting around that. But there are people around Bernie Sanders who have the same belief that you find in the Jeremy Corbyns of the world who want to wipe out Jews or just hate them outright. There's a reason that you're seeing a lot of these attacks in places like New York, these attacks on Jews and other places are happening in these deeply blue areas. There is this underlying anti-Semitism problem in the Democratic Party, and they are not dealing with it. Nancy Pelosi tried to hammer down on it with you know, part of the members of the squad who were attacking Jews for really no reason, and she couldn't do it. The squad and all their political power ended up breaking her, and they just did a general thing against hate overall. And those anti-Semites got away scot-free in the party. So, if you're running Bernie Sanders, all of this will come up. There will have to be a microscope that covers all these different things. The videos him praising, you know, Fidel and different communists that'll come out, and then the people around him who are just flagrant anti-Semites, that is also going to come out. So yes, Bernie Sanders can win. And I think the media would end up going all out for him to help him win because he'd be the Democratic nominee. You're not going to see on NBCBC or anywhere else You're not going to see this some kind of against Sanders or this never Sanders movement like you saw in the Republican Party of people who didn't like Trump. You're not going to see that in the Democratic Party. They view Trump as an existential threat to the country, and so they will unite behind Bernie Sanders no matter what. So he does have a chance to win because of that and because the media will help him out every step of the way. But it's not going to be easy or a cakewalk because all this other stuff about him will come out. And because the media, the mainstream media, doesn't have a, you know, a stranglehold on what people see anymore, you're going to see people learn about Bernie Sanders' past, which hasn't really come out up until now, like you heard in that clip with Chris Matthews. James Carville, you know, the former he worked with the Clintons on helping Bill Clinton get it. Elected and re-elected, he gave an interview with Vox, which I'm going to link in the show notes. You should go and read it because it's just classic. He it's full of profanity and him talking about how Democrats have lost their explicit minds and how they're going to lose this election against Trump because they they're not only they've not only gone too far left, they're not even on the radar or the ballpark anymore. They've gone so far left. And he had a line which I literally bust out laughing when I heard it. And he said, of voters, he said, they'll run away from Bernie Sanders like the devil running away from holy water. I don't know how much harder you can get than that. That's what he thinks of Bernie Sanders. And, you know, he may be right because he's the one who's put together winning coalitions and he saw it with Barack Obama and he's not seeing it here. And he might have a point. So Bernie can win, but there are a lot of red flags and there are a lot of ways in which I think Donald Trump could win. This could be one of those things where it's like Nixon against Mondale, where you see just an absolute wipeout. So it's something to watch. Bernie could win. I'm not sure that it will happen because it very much is an uphill battle, especially when you have Donald Trump, who's going to have just a kicking economy. And after impeachment, you're seeing his approval rating go up which is the closer he gets to 50%, the more likely it is that he's going to get reelected because when you get into these purple states, you can automatically tick up his, my ballpark estimate is when you get into some of these purple states, you can take his approval rating and give it between three to five extra points, and that's where he's going to be. So my belief is that he needs to be at at least 45% in the averages and that he will poll better in some of these individual states. If he does that, I think he wins pretty convincingly. I don't know. So I don't know if Bernie Sanders can overcome that, but it looks like that's where we're headed right now. So with that, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about New Hampshire. So it's running a little long, and we're going to talk about what you need to focus on and who you need to watch in the New Hampshire primaries. All right, so we're going to talk New Hampshire baselines real quick. Bernie Sanders is the clear leader in going in. My gut going into this, looking at the polls, and I know I'm going to be wrong on this because the polls for New Hampshire look like they're hurting where all of the pollsters are trying to sort of herd around the same thing so they don't look like one of them is just egregiously, egregiously wrong. So I think you're looking at Bernie Sanders in first right now, Pete Buttigieg in second. I think you're going to see a surprise sneak into third by Amy Klobuchar, followed by Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren in fifth. I think based off the debate on what happened, I think there's a small chance that Klobuchar surges forward and siphons off some of Pete Buttigieg's support, which will help Bernie expand his lead in New Hampshire. And then Biden and Warren are probably interchangeable there. I could believe Biden sinking to fifth just as I could believe Warren doing that. But either way, both of them should be ringing up close to the rear. You could see Warren sneaking to third as well. But in any event, it should just be a two-person race in this state with the other three trying to figure out who's going to take up the rest of the vote. What to watch? Uh, I think the first thing you have to watch is Bernie's margin. So he basically has a home state advantage going into this because his home state of Vermont is right next door. So the people there know him. He won. He did really well there last time. And so if this is close, it raises questions about his viability going forward. If he's not able to blow this out, it's people are going to ask, okay, well, there's apparently a cap on how much support he's going to get in the primaries. So it just depends on when the moderate wing Kicks people out, and who can take that spot and start winning delegates over him? The next thing after Bernie's advantage is who gets beat so badly in New Hampshire that they have to drop out. The seemingly Almost happens every year where somebody who is already lagging behind gets beat and loses badly, and is, and they have to drop out. In 2016, it was Chris Christie at this point where he said he was going to go through to the convention, and then he drops out of New Hampshire and then immediately endorses Trump because he wanted to remain politically viable. So that's going to happen. I think your top three candidates for that, I think the first one is Elizabeth Warren. She's already low on cash. She has staff defections. There are uh, people who are already talking to Politico. There were, I believe it was six black women who left her campaign and talked about it being a toxic atmosphere and how they were just being treated as token blacks on the campaign. And it was just incredible to read all of that. And so she's already on fumes right now where she doesn't have a legitimate path forward and her staff is beginning to leave angrily. And you're seeing these things where people are attacking her. After her, Amy Klobuchar and Biden are the next likely candidates. It's amazing that we're seeing Biden fall this hard and this fast. The only hope I think he has is for either black voters to save him or Obama to come out and endorse him flat out to turn his campaign around. Like I said earlier, Obama dislikes Elizabeth Warren and Bernie, and if he wants them to lose, he needs to come out and try to swing this thing one way or the other. But I don't know if he's going to step in. So I I don't know what he's going to do, even though they're attacking his legacy. The other thing to watch coming out of New Hampshire is uh, Mike Bloomberg in the national polls. He's gaining ground. He's into double digits now. I've seen him poll at at least 10% or more in several polls now. And so what is he looking to do here? His only play is for Super Tuesday. He's got to do well there with Biden. You know, lagging behind, he sees this as his opening. But I honestly don't see a path forward for him either, because Bernie Sanders' favorabilities are in the seventy percent range. Mike Bloomberg's favorability is at like forty-one percent, forty-eight percent. It's not even above fifty. People universally don't like him, and I think that's true of just about everyone. Once you you know see him for a while, you learn. Oh yeah, no, this guy's kind of awful in every conceivable way. But he's trying to buy his way into this race, and he's succeeding in doing so so far. It is the biggest ad blitz that we have ever seen from any campaign ever. People are going to write about this this primary for just years and decades to come, primarily because of what Mike Bloomberg is doing, and they're going to study it to see whether or not you can just outright use money to buy your way into an election. And the important thing to note here about that real quick Bloomberg and his capacity to buy his way into the election has nothing to do with Citizens United. He is an entirely self-funding campaign, and he can do that if he wants to. Current campaign finance laws do not preclude him from doing this. So he is entirely self-funding, and he is dropping... He's going to hit the billion-dollar mark here pretty soon, if not already. He doubled his ad spending after the Iowa caucus debacle, and so it's going to be really interesting to see what he does. The fourth thing here to look for is who are black voters moving towards? Who do they like? Because they are going to decide this primary. South Carolina is really D-Day. It's going to tell us everything about what's going to happen in these states going forward. So the million-dollar question is for this primary is, who's going to win their vote in this race? Because they are the deciding factor. They are the deciding group. Who they go for will go a long way towards deciding that election. And then the second million-dollar question is this. Can the Democratic nominee who wins this convention, can that person turn out minorities, specifically black voters, in these key states to flip the election back towards them? Specifically, Democrats need to focus on winning in places like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And there are black voters in all the urban areas of those cities who they have to bring out and get to get out to vote. Barack Obama won these groups decidingly in both 2008 and 2012 and got people to come out and vote. Hillary Clinton did not, and she had Bill Clinton helping her campaign. Who is going to step forward here and be able to win these voters and get them to come out to vote? I'm not sure any of them can, but the only one that people seem to think who can do it is Joe Biden, and he's currently losing in a bad way. The other thing about that is that during the State of the Union address, Donald Trump and his Republican advisors are very explicitly targeting black and Hispanic male voters who are trying to beef up support here and try to win over support from these two groups in particular. So you've seen in some of these other states where you saw Obama voters switch over to Trump and certain white voters, and they're trying to get that to happen of certain minority groups. And I don't know if it'll work, but that is the plan. That is what they're doing. They're trying to drive up support here among minority groups to help offset some of these Midwest cities where Trump has run up support among uh, rural white voters. So again, that, black voters in the Democratic caucus are going to decide this thing, and who they end up sort of reporting is going to decide everything at the end. But there are red flags over here for just about all the remaining candidates on whether or not they're going to be able to win a general election. So New Hampshire, it should go better than Iowa. The Iowa, pri- the pri- it's got a primary, not a caucus. So all people have to do is show up and vote. We should know the votes before the end of the night, and that should give us a result. So the main things will be who wins it and what are the media narratives going into divide in South Carolina because unlike Iowa, New Hampshire is going to drive major news cycles from here on out. Being so there's a lot riding on this. It's going to shake out who are winners and who are losers and people are going to, you know, their campaigns could very well end in New Hampshire even though there's a long way still to go. So I I think there's still a, a good chance we're heading towards a contestative convention. I'm not entirely convinced. Bernie Sanders has the best path forward just because he hasn't proven that he can win minority voters as a group yet. I think that could change in South Carolina, but if it doesn't, it's going to make things very complicated come convention time. And the same thing's true of Pete Buttigieg, who has his surprise win here. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the Democratic primaries. It's a lot of fun to examine and talk about. And I think that's just about everything I've got to say about New Hampshire and going forward. So questions, comments, or corrections or feedback, you can reach out to me in the contact information in the show notes. Or, you know, you can always hit me up on Twitter at D.VaughnCI. You can look out for next columns on Monday and Friday at the Conservative Institute. And the newsletter goes out early Friday morning. So make sure to sign up for that and you'll get the next issue. Thank you for listening to this podcast and making it a part of your day. Remember, if you liked and enjoyed it, make sure to send in those five-star reviews to help us out in the rankings. I hope to see you again, but until then, I am your host, Daniel Vaughn, signing off for this week, and I'll see you guys in the next episode.